So I'd like to remind, we re, you know, we sing the song, you know, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. You know, I think about the ministry of the disciples and casting out demons and that kind of a thing. And in Acts, you see these guys that were, thought what Paul was doing was pretty cool. The seven sons of Sceva. Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? <laughs> and it didn't go so well for those guys. And I wonder sometimes if we need to be reminded of the authority that we have in Christ. You know, why do the de- demons tremble? Because they were defeated at the cross. He put the demonic world, the fallen angels, and all the rebels to open shame through his death on the cross. We have the victory. We don't need to, well, you know, I wonder if the Lord wants to do this. I wonder if the Lord wants to do that. Well, when it comes to the darkness, we know what he wants. And we need to stand our ground. And I think that's, I want to remind us that before we get to our time of prayer tonight. We need to take authority over what's going on in the spirit realm. What's going on in D.C. and across the world isn't going to be won by some politician's smart moves. It's not against flesh and blood. This is spiritual. And we have authority as the church of Jesus Christ. Why do you think they want to keep us from meeting? Why do you think they want to keep us from singing? Being together? Because that is the number one we're the number one opponent against the enemy. So let's just stand our ground and take, take what's ours. They are intruders. We're gonna, probably not going to talk about that. We are going to talk about angels tonight. But the, but the fallen ones and the de- demons, they're intruders. They have no business being in this domain. This is our domain, the domain of humankind. And so just remember that in your prayers. Don't run away. Don't be intimidated. That's the authority you have as a believer. And God wants you to exercise it. Right? Amen? Amen. So we're in chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in just four verses tonight. Big, big, uh, big practice night, right? So I'm going to keep this short and to the point. And let's pick it up in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is the made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So, again, the writer aggressively approaching the subject of 
Christ, this is the, actually the first time that he's mentioned his name, but Jesus, that he's better uh, than the old system. The new covenant's better than the old covenant. He's going to show them that. Um, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the Levitical priesthood. He's going to go through the whole, any argument that a person that's in Judaism would have against walking with Christ. The, just the magnificent thesis put forth by the writer here. But when you, you think about the work that God is doing, everything goes through Jesus. There's not anything that doesn't go through him. Isn't that wonderful? That's why all you have to do is keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, and if he should be the centerpiece of every service, all our songs... Everything that we do should be centered upon him because that's how God works. Just like when you read through the Old Testament, when Moses is leading them, God always followed the chain of command, didn't he? It's God spoke to Moses and then God and then Moses spoke to the people. That's just the way it worked. Well, if God has anything to say to humanity, it's always to the person of Jesus Christ. He's the the latest revelation. There's no other one. Now, when you think about this, and the warnings that Jesus gave to us about when he would, uh, when the end would come, uh, what was the what was the end times? Uh, one of the major characteristics or things that we should be careful of. It would be a time of deception, that many would come in my name saying that they were the Christ, or that he's here or there, and don't go there. Don't be deceived by that. It would the end times would be a time of deception. Now the Bible does tell us that we're in the last days. And that was 2,000 years ago. So that must mean we must be in the final seconds, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of water over the dam since then. But there's no other way. And this is so abrasive to the world. This is not something the world wants to hear. But I'm going to say it, and I'll say it until I die. There's no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. All other religions, are they're thieves. They're robbers. They're stealing away man's opportunity to be saved. And I, I don't know, um, it's not like that. I thought that up or invented that. The Bible clearly indicates that there's, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. They're thieves and robbers. And so that's the difference between Christianity and, and all other religions, if you will. Um, there's no other Savior except God. And he has chosen to save us through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there's no... The problem with the other systems, and I, this is how... I never leave this. I never leave the subject of forgiveness when I'm talking to a cult. A non-Christian cult or a Christian cult that tries to you know, make themselves out to be Christian. How do they deal with forgiveness? Forgiveness, number one, or number two, number one would be the deity of Christ. If you, if you, he who has the Son has life, right? He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you don't have Jesus Christ right, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, you're of the spirit of Antichrist. And there's no salvation in what you could possibly say or bring to the table. And so 
in the person of Christ is forgiveness. Everybody that's in heaven has one thing in common. And everyone that got there came the same way. It was through the blood of the cross. That's very important. So you can ask uh, the Hindu, how are you forgiven? Well, they'll give you a list of works, probably. Uh, how about Muslims? This ought to really hit a hot button, right? You know, how is it that Muhammad's book would bring salvation to mankind? It has nothing to do with blood atonement. It's all about works. And let's not forget the, the Jehovah non-witnesses, because they're really not God's witness at all. Is it Michael, the one that forgives your sins? Michael the archangel? That's who they worship. The same with the Mormons. Pretending they're just counterfeit. They have, oh, such a love for the family, yeah? yeah. They go out and they do their two-year stint out in the mission field. You know, you know, they can't doubt their sincerity. But sincerity doesn't save you. Faith in the right person is what saves you. The blood of Christ is what provides forgiveness for you. If you're not under the blood of Christ, if you don't see Jesus as God, then there's no forgiveness of sin. If you do not, this is what Jesus said. I mean, just quoting him. As he said to the Pharisees, if you do not believe that I am, he's using the divine name there, by the way. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So it's important that you understand the deity of Christ for your sins to be forgiven. And nobody can forgive sins except the Creator. God has chosen to forgive us in the person of Christ. He, and this is the part that he gets into because this is, uh, from a Jewish point of view, everybody living at the time that this letter was written to them, the readers of this epistle or the hearers of this epistle would have recognized and known about Jesus Christ. They know that he died a horrible death on a cross. And, well, why would he be more special? How could he possibly be more special than the angels? Those guys are powerful. I mean, the Old Testament full of, uh, is full of angelic visitations. Jesus died. How could he be greater than the angels? Well, why would he, if he was greater, then why would he die? You know, this is, you know, the thought process, I assume. Well, first of all, Jesus was made lower than the angels, but that doesn't make him less than. And this is Paul's argument there. Well, the writer, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> so an angel, be it Michael or any other angel, cannot provide atonement for mankind. There's no, there's no relationship. They're of a different kind. They're angelic beings. And there, of course, we know that there's different kinds of angels. There's messengers. That's the word angel itself, melech. But then there's a seraphim, the cherubim. There's this, a few others. We'll get into that uh, next year because I'm going to start a doctrines class once a month. I'm going to go through the doctrines of the Bible. We'll do it on a Sunday night uh, once a month. And I'm going to go through some of the basic doctrines uh, in, the, in the scriptures. Um, it's amazing, you know, if, if people... There's people that have gone to church all their life don't really even know the doctrine of God. 
the Father, the Son, the, the Holy Spirit, or the doctrine of angels, or the doctrine of sin. It's important that we go through some of those doctrines uh, just so that you're able to have a good working knowledge of the Scriptures and um, just enjoy what God has provided for us in, in the Scriptures. So when it comes to relationships, angels are not related to man. They're, a, they're the sons of God. They're, they, their realm is the heavenly realm. And it's an unseen realm to us. They're the sons of God, and that's their position in that realm. We are the sons of God on the earthly realm, this physical realm. And so when we think about forgiveness of sin, there has to be a blood relationship. You know, as the law says, there's eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And life is in the blood. So an angel could not possibly make atonement for man because they're of, not of a bloodline with man. And so that's the idea is that Jesus had to become one of us. He, in order for him to become our kinsman, our relative, our big brother, however you want to look at it, our relative who could die in our place uh, because of his track record has the as psalm 8 we're going to look at here prince presents him to us he's the the messiah is the ideal man and being the ideal man he can become our kinsman redeemer only jesus can be provide the atonement necessary for us so doesn't matter how many charitable works you might do, how many uh, elderly people you may help across the street <laughs> or visit in the hospital. You know, our works, as the Bible says, are filthy rags before God. God accepts nothing but perfection. So, as we refer to this, or I do regularly, the exchange that takes place by simple faith. Jesus Christ became what we are. He became the sin offering. You think about all the sins that have ever been committed from Adam forward. Oh. And you just let that sink in a moment. He became that black sin so that we might become what he is, and that is holy and righteous and acceptable to God. And so the righteousness that God will accept becomes a gift for the contrite and broken sinner who comes to God and asks for forgiveness. It's the great exchange. He becomes what I am, and I become what he is. By faith, I'm giving his, given his righteousness. This is a... Think about this. doesn't matter how smart you are. doesn't matter if you consider yourself a, a small person or you're one of the great movers and shakers of, of history. Everybody that's in heaven all comes on the same level. The ground at the, as they say, the, the ground at the cross is level. There are no plateaus. Everyone's on that same plane. So uh, he's, he, he shifts again in verse 5 to to the position of Christ, and he talks about the world to come. The angels aren't going to be running the show. 
fact is, Jesus is the centerpiece. He's going to be running the show. He's committed all judgment to the Son. And then Jesus is actually committing judgment to you and I. Paul says to the Corinthians in you know, sort of a indirect way, when they were having trouble suing one another, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, going to law against their brothers and said, wait, hold on. Take the least guy in the congregation and make him your judge. He can figure this out. Why are you going before the unbelievers to settle your disputes that you have with one another? Just If you're going to do that, just let yourself be defrauded, you know. He said, know you not that you will judge angels? Now, we're not talking about the righteous elect angels, right? Where were you that day on, you know, December 15th, 2021, when I needed you and you weren't there and something bad happened to me? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's probably talking about the fallen angels who left their first estate. And that's got to be a real rub in the face, having these lesser beings, these humans, they despise us. Do you realize how much Satan despises you? He hates you. He knows that he has been supplanted by the human race for his rebellion, and he hates us for it. But we will judge angels. I don't know how that's going to roll out, but that's what the Bible says, right? So, um, think about, I was thinking about the revelation, you know, we're talking about, you know, he, he, the enemy tre trembles and, and Jesus wins every battle. I mean, it's, it's already won. You know, and if you get depressed and you're discouraged, read the last couple chapters of Revelation. It's kind of nice thoughts, really. New Jerusalem. Anybody all right with that? <laughs> mean no see. <laughs> You'll just have to do that on the river of life. <laughs> the the writer here. Uh, is talking about uh, the ability that Jesus has to rule, even though he was a lesser entity for that short period of time. So he, uh, it's hard for the Jewish person to see Jesus as superior to the angels because uh, of his death. And that's, that's an important thing to remember. Um, and, he, and he nails it there, that he might taste, verse 9, that he might taste death. And that should have come as a, you know, a confirmation for them. But, uh, so who is going to be in charge? Turn to, Psalm, turn to Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, are the most important ones. But it's just a short little psalm, uh, beautiful psalm. Our, our Lord... O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. It's out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants that you've ordained strength because of your enemies. 
that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Again, you see, what is man that you're mindful of? And so you have that sort of that condescending thing of, I mean, we look at ourselves compared to the, what we read about angels and how, how powerless, how kind of, how weak. You know, flesh is weak. We're, we're a weak because of the curse. We're, we're, we're weakened. And yet here, uh, this is a messianic, obviously. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you should visit him. Well, the son of man, we know who that is. That's Jesus. And again, this is what the writers picked up on. You've made him lower than the angels. So we know that this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the person of Christ. And this is his position now. He's crowned as king with glory and honor. He's the one who has complete dominion. His reign and rule will be forever, forevermore. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul there, we know he's the writer there, uses this verse. We'll pick it up in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become a, the first fruits from those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in, in Adam all die, well, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to kingdom to God the Father, and when he puts an end to all rule, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are not put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. So again, we see this authority will be complete only at the return of Christ. When we go to Daniel uh, 7, uh, 13 and 14, we see one like the Son of Man coming in glory, and, he, and he, he's coming in power to establish his kingdom, a kingdom that will have no end. Now, it's important, to, again, to recognize here uh, the Son of Man 
And this is, again, something that uh, the cults have trouble with. The Son of Man is a reference to the deity of Christ. Not only is it a reference to his deity, but it's also a reference to his humanity. He must be God. He must be man. And this is the... He must be a man to suffer death, but he is God because only God is crowned with glory and honor. And I love, I love the way he ends this here. He's crowned with glory and honor that he might, by the grace of God, taste death for everyone. Let that settle in just a little bit. He tasted death. For you and I, what does the Bible say? It's the sting of death. So it's going to hurt a little bit. But what does Paul say about the sufferings? I, the present sufferings that we have are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed on the other side. Uh, think about how glorious it's going to be. There's a river that flows from the throne of God. And from that river, on either side of the river, are trees that bear fruit. Every month there's a different kind of fruit. So apparently we have time, measured time, in heaven. Uh, the fruit is there for the healing of the nations. Can't quite figure out all that out. How does that work? But we do know that it will be Emmanuel forever, God with us. God will establish his life, his purpose, in, in its completion with us. Now, again, this was, and I'll finish with this, this whole thing of, we don't see everything in, subject, in subjection to Jesus right now. But he, it's, it's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as you read through the Gospels. It's a, it, is, it is now, but not yet. And this power that Jesus is ruling about is, is now, but not yet. And that, that's a little, that concept's a little difficult to, to get your mind around, but it's the truth. We have, God is establishing his kingdom in our hearts. I mean, it's a spiritual kingdom first and foremost. And that's why he came, to establish a citizenry, to, to get a people ready to inherit the fullness of the kingdom. And so that's really sort of what we're going through is like a boot camp, getting us ready to, to rule and to reign with Christ. You know, uh, getting us ready to, to judge angels, if you will. Now, we're in no capacity right now for that. But that's what God has in mind for us. Well, in our glorified state, when God has finished making us and transforming us into the people that he's ordained us to be, he knows what the finished product looks like. Do you have any idea what the finished product looks like or feels like? That's clueless what we're going to be. But we're going to be equipped in, in a glorified body that will uh, be sufficient for the task that we're given. Um, and none of us are going to be disappointed. That's the wonderful thing. That's all I have to say tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for what you've ordained for us and what's coming 
is so cool, Lord, so fantastic, so incomprehensible, Lord, just like you. It's beyond our imagination. We can only just dream as we read through the scriptures and think about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, of partaking of the water of life, to be in your very presence where faith is not required, to behold you in your glory, to see your face, something that we've never seen. Lord, it's just beyond us. We thank you. But we do thank you again, Lord, that you've given us your spirit, that you can reveal things to us, you can show us things to come, you can continue to open our eyes and our ears to the wonderful things that you have in store. We just thank you for the great and precious promises that you've left to us, Lord. It's as good as done. And thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.